0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another Buffalo TechCast, where we talk to founders and funders about the startup ecosystem here in Western New York. We'll get to the program in a second, but first, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. The podcast was hosted again this week by BNMC, Inc., in their learn space at the Innovation Center. The Learn Space is a new classroom sponsored by First Niagara to host the organization's entrepreneurial programming. Okay, this week we're talking to Ace Colwood, the CEO of Painless 1099, a company that won the 40, won Uprise in the 43 North competition in October. They won $500,000 and the team moved to Buffalo in January. So we're going to talk a little bit about the company's outlook and how it was founded and then really take a look at who Ace is as an entrepreneur. And um, so, yeah, it's a good conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado, here it is. The impetus for Painless and
1: kind of the catalyst there was this perfect storm. Um, Justin and I met back in school. We both studied entrepreneurship at uh, Virginia Commonwealth. So down in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Matt was at VCU for a bit and then ultimately ended up leaving to go to Charlottesville, And build his first company as Justin and I built our first in school. Um, And the powers that be decided all of the token millennials needed to meet each other because we're all building tech companies, uh, which is really cool. So a mentor of ours put us all together um, and we ultimately ended up building Coffitivity.com together. Um, So Coffitivity was kind of the first foray into technology for me and Justin Uh, We tried building a hardware company previously um, and Matt came on to build out the mobile experience for Confitivity. So we had this really awesome roller coaster ride, scaling that, I think we're at four and a half million users over five or all but five or six countries in the world. Um, So this phenomenal experience for us building, scaling, dealing with users um, and ultimately getting some of the press and, and tech accolades that we did from that project. Uh, and then we started exploring how to monetize and really what getting money out of users looked like, uh, because we had the scale. And so it was: do we get a dollar from selling mobile apps? Which we did. We did well. It was interesting. We you know paid for rent and beer. Um, but
0: uh, wait, how much did you make? We, Are you still making money off of that? We still make money. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's uh, it's still up. You know, we it's pretty hands off. We have a developer that you know jams on it and keeps it updated, but. By and large, it just sits. And we turned uh, we turned the app sale off. So we give the product away for free, and we have a premium subscription. So it makes less money than selling it for two bucks a pop up front. Um, and you know, we we did that for a couple months. We made you know 40, 50 grand. Um, nothing to, nothing crazy. But again, Rent, bad. rent and beer. It yeah. was uh, it was not terrible for an app that was a side project and wasn't really supposed to be a business. Um, and so we, we saw an opportunity and pursued it, but, uh, for us, it was a thing that we built for ourselves. Anyway, that was this really cool experience. And we were trying to monetize users. Um, again, we started giving the app away for free and what we, what we did was just started talking to the people using Coffitivity, um, highly engaged audience. So we were at like a 40 some percent email open rate, which gives you some context. Industry average was like 12%, um, 50% return rate and millions of users. So like. We could put up a survey and get responses in real time almost, which was phenomenal. And 24 hours because we have users around the clock. And so what we did was start talking to people and we said, hey, what is your life? What do you do? Who are you? What tools in the physical world, in the digital world do you use? Um, And what would make your life a little better? And what we found is that a huge amount of our audience were independent contractors um, and that they were looking for a couple of things. One was like this place to belong, interact with peers, um, you know, the co-working type spaces, where do they work out of, have their meetings. Um, they were looking for some better tools, the physical to digital, Moleskin's doing a little bit of it. And then ultimately um, after finding work, they had to navigate a tax issue. So if I have work and clients paying me, my next problem is taxes and benefits as a whole. So I get money in. What do I do with that? How am I saving for retirement or the new car or uh, paying my bills and ultimately paying the, the tax man? And so we found that there was a tax kind of void. And of all of the benefits, there are some really cool tools out there. Taxes is a thing that nobody had handled yet. Um, now from that kind of realization, uh, we were all doing contract work at the time too. So strategy and brand on my end, Justin and matter, both, uh, full stack developers. Um, Matt got blindsided by a $15,000 bill from the IRS. And so it was, Hey, we had identified this problem for a bunch of people. And then we had the personal pain and we put the two together. And then January of 2015, we all sat down and said, is this a thing we should do? Um, we took a month to explore and talk to users, and then we went.
0: You had a three-person team, which had a moderately successful kind of incidental or side project, <laughs> and uh, through that found a uh, specific problem that you thought that you could solve and solve it well, and decided to take the leap. Tell me about the team, though. Why did that? Why did you? What about your experience and your skill set? Thought that you would be, you know, the 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 right kind of team to to pursue a successful startup, and you know not the other kind of team whose startup doesn't work.
1: Um, they, there's, there's no saying we aren't the team whose startup doesn't work. You know, we're, we're in startup land right now. Um, 80% of startups fail, and, and we're hyper aware of that. Uh, what we realize is that we're ambitious as a crew. Um, I think there's a level of naivete that comes with being able to build a successful startup. Right. Being too entrenched. And it's funny. Investors look a lot of times for industry leaders and guys who know a space that is great. There's a lot of value there. But on the other side, having kind of this lack of knowledge of a space sometimes allows you to ask really basic questions about why things are the way they are. And I think in the financial services and financial kind of technology space, that is as that is equally beneficial for a team. You know, so coming in and saying, why is it this way? Why does it take this long to process money? Why do we have to go through these hoops to, to validate and identify a user to get into a new financial product? Um, we've been able to ask those questions as a team, not from fintech. And we've surrounded ourselves with mentors and investors and advisors who are intimately aware of how fintech works. And so it's, I think this really good balance of three guys who have built together. We've, we've dealt with the big pieces of a startup, which is scale. You know, we did millions of users, whether it's coffee shop sounds or moving people's money, dealing with users who expect one experience and get another one. And kind of that disconnect is really important. And that brings me to the second piece, which is we do experience really well. You know, financial technology is is hard from a compliance and regulatory standpoint. But if you get through that, at the end of the day, what weeds out a good company from a bad company is how easy it is to interact with the product. Right now, banks aren't doing that well. Other products that are popping up are getting closer. And what we realized is we do getting people into a product that they love a lot better than a lot of the other products that we've seen pop up. And I think that's evidenced in competitivity. It's evidenced in products we've built for clients in the contracting world. Um, and the idea is we can do that for a historically underserved and overlooked demographic in uh, freelancers and independent contractors.
0: What are some of the core tenets of that um, founding team, though? That leads you to those capabilities. Are you united by just being extremely hard workers? Are you? Do you all sort of value your innate intellectual aptitude? Are you super tech savvy? Are you dreamers? Uh, like what? What unites this this uh, grouping of three people who didn't previously know each other? Well, the two of you met in college, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, for one, we were all buddies kind of before we started.
1: Well, Justin and I started building together, and we have been for forever. But Matt, and Matt, me, and Justin were friends before we started working together. Um, I think there's a little bit of everything that you kind of threw out. I'm very much a dreamer. Um, Justin is meticulous and task-oriented in a lot of respects. Uh, both Matt and Justin are technologists. Justin's background, Justin's a unicorn as a founder. I think Matt and I are solid founders. Uh, Jay is really interesting in that he comes from a business marketing background. Uh, Even prior to that, he was artistic and, you know, got into some prestigious art schools uh, and decided not going that route. And then ultimately he taught himself how to code. And so Matt and Justin as self-taught developers is, is awesome. And I think the last piece, the probably common thread is this willingness and uh, I think ability to pick things up very quickly. You know, Justin built his first website in a month. Matt is completely self-taught in building mobile experiences. Um, and then uh, I think I I kind of stumbled into this communications niche uh, where simplifying a thing and then being able to unite people, whether that's investors or users or, you know, just advocates of the, the platform around that core of what we do and why we do it. Um, so I think as a team, we have a lot of the things and we've been able to find other people uh, to help fill in some of the gaps. You
0: kind of making the segue for me. You, it seems pretty clear to me that you're the, the painless front man. You're the one that does the presenting. You do, you seem to be doing, do a lot of the public speaking on behalf of the company sure. and you seem to do it pretty well. What are the, what are the characteristics of being a um, effective public speaker on behalf of a tech startup company? Um, and I, I guess I'm wondering, like, do you have is it is it knowing all of the actors at once and um, being able to sort of unite what everybody wants to hear in one message? Is it just being confident, you know, not being scared of people? Like, what what is it that makes you a good public speaker? Uh,
1: yeah, a, a couple ingredients there. I think the core is being comfortable having a conversation. Um, and that's at the end of the day, that's all public speaking is right. Like, like. That's all pitching is. I guess I ought, to, I ought to clarify. That's what pitching is. Pitching is having a conversation and marrying that with public speaking. And if you can do the two well, it's pitching. And I think this fear of public speaking is pretty prevalent throughout society, as we, as we know, right? Like higher than spiders on the list of things people hate. Um But at the end of the day, if we think about pitching and being in front of people as merely having a conversation with several partners rather than, you know, just a one-on-one dialogue, um, that's really important. I think it changes the perspective of getting up and sharing a thing. Um, Beyond that, one, I'm a military brat, you know, so I moved every couple of years. I had to make friends very quickly. I think I just have a natural knack for getting in a room and, and being able to connect with people. So that's part my strength as as a founder Um, and trust me I'm sure the guys would tell you I have as many weaknesses as I do strengths but that happens to be one of the things that works well for me Um, but I, I think the last thing is really buying into the vision right? like the starting with why I see so many trivial startups pop up with, you know, this might be fun rather than I'm actually solving a problem for people and being able to get up and say, well, this is a problem. We understand it for several reasons. This is why we do what we do. And this is how we've explored why this will work better in process than other things. Um, and I think it's all of those being able to say why you do it, being able to naturally connect with people. Um, and then the last piece is the
0: mentality of getting up and, and being able to share all of that. Tell me a little bit more about this, uh, being a military brat. So where, where did you move and um, what it was like having to constantly, you know, I don't know, reinvent is maybe the, the wrong word, but reintroduce yourself to yeah, communities uh, of kids. Yeah, to reintroduce myself. Um, yeah, so I was born in D.C.
1: Um, both my parents are out of the Coast Guard Academy. Uh, and I think there's an interesting thread that we can chat about later on, on the military front. But both my parents out of the Academy, um, born in D.C., moved on to Key West there for a bit. Moved to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Was there for four years, I want to say. Three and a half, four years. Um, Popped up to Chesapeake, Virginia. So Virginia Beach area. Um, Ultimately graduated high school in Chesapeake. Went to Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond. uh, Stayed there for a couple years. And then uh, as of New Year's 2016, we relocated to Buffalo. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm enjoying it.
0: But still, okay. So that was the catalog. But what was was it it like? All right,
1: it 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 wasn't even just my moves. It's kind of understanding that everybody's on a move schedule. So every twelve to eighteen months, I had a new best friend. You know, it was I. I was either coming in or leaving, or somebody else was coming in or leaving, or my best friend left. Um, So you're you're constantly just okay with a new environment and a new kind of scenery and being as comfortable in that as you can. And it's something Justin and I say, both his parents are military as well. Uh, Justin and I talk a lot about being comfortably uncomfortable. Um, And it's just that idea that things are going to change. The landscape is always shifting. And the best way to prepare for that is just be okay with landscape shifting you know, a lot of people try and plan the storm that is going to come and you can't plan for that but you have to be very natural in flowing with it and and that is I think what I learned from always being moving around.
0: Okay so excuse the journalist for looking for patterns here but do you think that that sort of history that personal history had something to do with your willingness to take a risk in the sort of ambiguous amorphous, pathway that is a startup company, and also that your willingness to move somewhere else besides a community, which I've seen you talk about, in which you felt really supported and comfortable. It wasn't like you were fleeing Richmond. Oh, So yeah. those two things, do you think those were traceable to uh, this journey that you're talking about? I think that's a part of it. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's a
1: big part of it, right? Like, I'm just naturally inclined to integrate with a new group, and like I'm fine with that. Um, interestingly enough, I hate change. You know, like I've had to force myself into a lot of these. And I think the the upbringing forced me into it. But once I find kind of this comfort zone for me, it it's not my natural inclination to change that. Um, so being forced into it to, to some degree is really helpful. Um, and then I thrive and it's like, oh, this wasn't as bad. You know, it's jumping into the cold pool. Um, you don't want to do it, but you know that it will be enjoyable when you do uh, and you won't drown. So I think that's that's a really important piece for me. And after a while, you get to a point where you recognize that, um, and it becomes easier and easier to to jump into the next thing. Um, but I don't I don't love it. And that a lot of people think like I love doing that. I don't. I'm just good at it. Um, and I think the rest of the team is similar in a lot of respects. What's it like building a startup company in Richmond?
0: Really similar to Buffalo.
1: Interestingly enough, um, these cities. You know, I talk about Richmond a lot, and it's it's where I grew up in a lot of respects you know i I got my ass kicked in college and wasn't a great student and found my thing and started the first company and met my business partners you know a lot of things happened in richmond and we raised you know our our first hundred grand for painless out of richmond as well so super supported um there what i found and i think it was so easy to assimilate into buffalo is because the cities are really similar not only in in layout they're almost an analog of each other um, from being down on the water downtown in Buffalo up to Allentown which is like campus where we went to school up through Elmwood Village which is very very similar to Carytown and the neighborhood we lived in Um, even out to Hurdle which is like almost exactly like one of the neighborhoods that we really loved and and Matt lived in in Richmond. The cities layout wise temperature is a little different the cities are similar and then the tech community is, is equally similar. Now you have an anchor point in what i consider 43 north being um i think that influx of cash is important and that's one of the things richmond was lacking and i think is just now figuring out but certainly still lacking um and so that influx of cash is really crucial because it's not the friends and family round in a second tier city like this and that's not a you know that that is not a derogatory term it's just a reality of not being new york or san francisco there's the lack of uh, you can do any entrepreneur worth their salt can find their first 50 to 75 to 100 grand, right? Like if you can't do that, maybe a high gross scalable startup world isn't for you. It's the 100 to three or 500 that's really hard to do. And then in the same way you could do it in Buffalo, you can do it in Richmond. You can find 2 million bucks for a Series A. You know, that's not the hardest thing to do. It's that first pre-revenue seed stage company that is too much of a risk for a lot of generally conservative investors to jump into. And I see that a little bit here. I saw it a lot in Richmond, but I've seen it in New Orleans, in Nashville, in a Baltimore, in a Pittsburgh uh, equally. Um, and so that a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but that is, I don't even remember what the question was.
0: Neither do I. Painless ten ninety nine won a half a million dollars in the forty three North competition in October two thousand fifteen and moved its team here around mid January, I think. Yeah. You were I think you told me before that, that uh that money is um part of an initial seed round that you're that that you're raising, which will be the bridge between the friends and family and hopefully the Series A. Yep. How's the seed round going?
1: Great, great. We, um you know, we we got significant runway with the influx from 43 North and really focused on, you know, telling the next leg of our story. And so we got friends and family in. we did some awesome stuff in getting the partnerships in place. With 43 North Cash, we really were able to build out and kind of start ramping up the platform. And now we're at that inflection point where, you know, we either finish out our seed round or jump to the next big round. And that's a conversation we're having right now. I think there's an opportunity to do either, uh, but at this point, it's a matter of, you know, we've got probably five hires we need to start making, um, and could reasonably take on another million bucks right now to go fast. We're, we've tested and proven all the things we want to. Now it's a matter of doubling down and executing. And so um, it's coming along really well. The conversation's where I need. It's a matter of whether we change
0: that dollar amount or not. You're in a beta right now The before the initial sort of fully commercialized product launch, correct? Yep. What's the outlook? What's the next two years look like for Painless? Oh,
1: man. Two two years. What's the next
0: year look like? <laughs>
1: um, next <laughs> year, I mentioned some hires. So building out the team. Um, to do know. what? To sell it? Partly, partly to sell it. What, what we found is that we're reasonably acquiring customers just through paid channels. Um, so less sales, more marketing. So being able to even... Uh, on a more granular level, dig down on who's converting to users, finding more of those people, and then tweaking the messaging to other kind of verticals. The the tricky part about the 1099 audiences is, is very fragmented. And so a developer and a designer, while they have the same tax-related problem, they think about it and talk about it and identify with it differently. Um, so being able to talk to each one of the segments, real estate, truckers, medical workers, what have you, Uber drivers... Um, And then on the other side, development. So being able to keep up with uh, the not only design, so kind of UI, UX on the front end, but the the systems on the back end, and then the integration with our banking partners. So there are some heavy development needs, um, some design, and then ultimately being able to continue spending money uh, to acquire customers and doing that where the unit economics makes sense.
0: Uh, Speaking of the economics of the company, when I mean I know that you're sort of open-ended you want the beta to be just right before you start actually sure. selling it fully but you know is there a, is there any more maybe zooming out a little bit uh view on when you expect to start having you know real revenue coming in from a fully commercialized product um no yeah no. yes
1: is is always the answer you know i is on revenue it's it's I think a lot of venture back companies are just like, all right, we'll just go and keep raising money. No, we'll definitely get into cash. It may not be directly from the user to start. I think there are a lot of opportunities for referrals, uh, and especially in the financial business, right? Like we have an opportunity to start m- providing access to other products that generate us some revenue. Um, that being said, on the user side, we'll go to as soon as we close beta, users will be paying a subscription. It's super palatable price point um, and comparable to other tax softwares. And so, uh, the idea is especially bringing on a couple people to expedite the process of getting design and experience right. Um, theoretically, that gets us closer to closing beta and making money off of users. Kind of didn't answer the question.
0: No, you did okay. Awesome. Um, painless. You're describing. Uh, uh, I guess you could, if you were sort of reading the cards here, look at a few potential pathways for the company. You're talking about additional products, which maybe you're working, you know, working with partners, or maybe you're developing them yourself. yourselves. In other words, sort of expanding the breadth of the company. Yeah. You're also talking about working with larger. Uh, partners in the banking industry and maybe beyond those might be potential acquirers but this is this is an early question but do you have a like an outlook for for what happens with this company eventually you're a venture backed startup a liquidation event is the point right right i mean you know if it's not liquidation event
1: we become the bank i mean that's that's terminal velocity for us unless we sell somewhere in in the mix um becoming a bank is not an easy thing to do and it's in the grand scheme of things that are attractive, probably not attractive either. Um, but doable, and that could be the thing. Other than that, you know, a large financial institution, the Barclays or Cap 1s of the world could certainly be interested, um, or an Intuit or an H&R Block or a Tax Act, right? So some of the tax software platforms. Uh, but I, I think that's what it is, right? Like, we have access to a demographic that hasn't had financial products or services offered to them uh, specifically, and being able to capture that audience, provide a lot of value, and then make them available to a larger entity that also wants that audience, I think is the play. It's really, uh, out of the three or four or five types of entities that could be interested, I have no no idea which one will bite first. Uh,
0: But that's how we think about it. Ace, thanks very much for doing this, and good luck to you. Totally. Thank you. Thanks to Ace Callwood, CEO of Painless 1099, for participating in this week's Buffalo TechCast. Thanks to you all for listening. A reminder to subscribe on iTunes or on uh, on SoundCloud. And to have a great weekend. We'll talk to you all next week.